Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, it's great to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Those of you that are streaming with us, we've been having some technical difficulties this morning. So if the sound sounds choppy, it's something that's kind of beyond our control. So bear with us. But it's great to have you here on Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday marked the the week of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. That's what we celebrate today. Next week is Easter Sunday obviously when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And for next Sunday only, we're going to have three service times. We're going to have a 9, a 10, 15, and an 11, 30, just to be able to accommodate people. And so we'll still be able to social distance. So make sure you, you mark your calendars. We're also going to celebrate communion next Sunday. So if you're here in person, you don't have to do anything ahead of time. If you're going to be streaming with us, grab some bread, crackers, water, juice, whatever, uh, as we remember what Christ did for us. So we've been in this series called Signs, and we've been looking at the book of John written by the disciple John of the signs that pointed him to Jesus and and who Jesus was, the Messiah, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he recorded these things because he wants us to see what He saw because John did not believe in Jesus simply by blind faith. He believed because of what he saw. And and John would really tell us, look, these aren't just miracles. These are signs that point us to something greater. He he doesn't want us to get enamored with the the miracles and miss the person of Christ. And and just for a side note, um, I know I say that word incorrectly. Okay. My wife was, she was just brutal last Sunday afternoon. And she's like, you know how many times you said miracles? It's not miracles, it's miracles. <laughs> and I'm like, you would think after 31 years of marriage, I'd get a little mercy from my wife, but no. So I apologize up front that I butcher the English language. The translation of miracles is miracles. All right. Just so we're all on the same page, but let's look at the miraculous signs that we've talked about so far in this series. The very first week, Matt kicked off this series, and we looked at Jesus turning water into wine. That was the first sign. That was really the start of his ministry and and what he was going to do on this earth. Then the second week, we looked at the Roman official who had the sick son. He listened to the rumors and the the talk about Jesus. He, He tried anything and everything to get his son healed, and he pursued Jesus out of faith of what these other people had told him, and Jesus healed his son. The third week, we looked at the man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He was lame. He was at the pool at Bethesda. And Jesus really kind of crossed all religious rules and religious boundaries, and he healed that man on the Sabbath. He showed him grace and compassion, whereas the religious leaders had ignored him for 38 years and basically told him, hey, the reason you're this way is because of your parents' sin. And in the fourth week, we looked at a miracle that is familiar to a lot of you, the feeding of the 5,000. And we learned that it wasn't just 5,000 people, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. So probably fifteen to 20,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. 
And we learned in, in that sign that a lot of those people were asking questions, right? They were asking questions of what's Jesus going to do for us now? Well, what am I going to get out of following Jesus? And after Jesus stopped performing, you know, that sign or another sign, then they abandoned Jesus. They were just curious and they went their own way. And then last week, if you were with us, we looked at the healing of the man that was born blind. And again, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. He put mud in his eyes. He told him, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he came back seeing. The guy had never seen before. But if you remember, the religious leaders didn't believe Jesus was from God. Because what Jesus did by healing this guy on the Sabbath went outside of their guidelines, their rules, right? And, and so they discounted Jesus. They said there's no way he can be from God because he didn't operate within the confines of the way we think God should operate. Remember last week we talked about how we put God in a box? And then when God does something outside of that box, we lose faith or we don't believe, or we stop following, or we stop participating. Actually, let's read John chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And all of our notes are on that Church Center app. If you're streaming with us, there's a link on our website and on Facebook. You can follow along. But the people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. In other words, haven't you seen the miraculous signs that I've done? Do you still not believe that I'm from God? Right? I've, give, I've given you the evidence. You won't embrace it. And they didn't like that answer very much. So they picked up stones to kill Jesus, but he escaped. He slipped away to the to the Jordan River. And by this time in Jesus's ministry, where this is recorded in John's gospel, a lot of people had seen a lot of the miraculous signs and they started to put their faith and trust in Jesus. So the followers of Jesus are growing because of what these people have seen with their very own eyes. So the sixth miracle that we're going to look at today Really, Jesus kind of goes all in with this miracle on his, on his ministry because he does something that's just so indisputable that it really forces the hand of those, like those religious leaders that had willful blindness, right? They refused to believe what they could see with their very own eyes. And the, the sign we're going to look at today is when Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. It's found in John chapter 11. We're going to look through the whole thing, but we'll start with verses 1 through 4a. And the scripture tells us this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. But in fact, you know, we know that Lazarus had actually died while the messenger was still en route to give Jesus this message. 
You know, back then they didn't have Twitter or Facebook where you could update a status. They didn't have phones or, or email. And so if you wanted to get a message to someone, you had to send someone to personally deliver that message. And Bethany was about a day's journey from where Jesus was. And again, when this guy arrives, Lazarus has already died. So let's read all of verse 4 now, not just the first part. So uh, verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, if you've never heard this story, and this is your first time hearing it, or if you were there hearing it for the very first time, that sounds kind of insensitive, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus is being a little insensitive. Sickness is for God's glory. You know, is John saying here that, that bad things can happen to good people and God can still exist? And yes, that's what he's saying. But Jesus isn't saying that sickness in general is a good thing. He's just saying in this particular instance, God is going to use this sickness to give them a sign of who he really is and what he's up to in the world. And so we continue in five and six, it says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two days. Now, is that troublesome to you? His dear friend, Lazarus is sick. That's what the messenger brings. And Jesus stays where he's at for two, two days. This is the same Jesus who could heal people just by speaking the word. Oh, your daughter will be healed. Right? He would heal complete strangers. He healed people, you know, on, an, on the spot. Yet his dear friend, Lazarus, is sick and he stays where he is for two days. Why? And the answer is, is God is up to something bigger. He was getting ready to do this miraculous sign that would be indisputable to who he was. So the two days go by, the, you know, the messenger goes back to, to Bethany and says, you know, I delivered the message. Jesus and his disciples just stay where they are, hanging out, doing whatever they were doing. And then after those two days go by, here's what Jesus says. Verses 7 and 8. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Translation, um, could you maybe not go where people want to kill you? Or have you considered going there by yourself? right? And not taking us with you. There's this tension among the disciples of going back to Judea. Now, Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are from, is right near Judea. And the disciples are simply remembering the last time he was there and how they wanted to stone him. Now, listen, the problem with a stoning back then is the people throwing the stones weren't very accurate, they weren't like a major league baseball pitcher, right? And if you were anywhere in the vicinity of someone getting stoned, you could get stoned yourself. Or because of your association with the person they were going to stone, they may stone you anyway. And so that's why they've got all this tension about going back to Judea. They know that Jesus' life is in danger. 
And so if Jesus' life is in danger, because they're his followers, their life is in danger. So they're hesitant, and naturally so. And so Jesus does what he often does, and, and he's talking to them, and he kind of goes off script. Or it seems like he goes off script, and, and they're probably scratching their heads like, what's, what's he talking about? Listen to these next passages, verses 9 and 10. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And the disciples are probably like, um, okay, <laughs> right? But as this story unfolds, the meaning of what Jesus is saying here becomes clear. He's telling them, look, you need to follow the light of the world while the light of the world is in the world. In other words, you need to follow me while I'm here. You have this unique opportunity with the presence of God in the world. And Jesus is trying to tell them, you're never going to see me more clearly than you see me right now. And if you stay here, out of fear of going back to Judea, you're going to miss really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see what I'm going to do. Because what he's going to do is change forever the way people view life and death and the way they view physical death. So learning number one, when we're without Jesus, we walk in darkness and the world makes little sense. That, that passage, really, in a nutshell, that's what it's telling us. If we're walking around in the darkness without the light of the world, without Jesus, the world makes little sense. Let's read on. 11 through 14. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And they're thinking, wait a minute, you just told us two days ago that this sickness would not end in death, and now you're telling us that Lazarus has died. And what Jesus says next really sounds kind of harsh and insensitive. But again, it makes sense later because we know what Jesus is about to do, to bring Lazarus back to life. Look at John eleven fifteen, And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? I'm glad I wasn't there when my dear friend died. I'm glad I wasn't there when my dear friend's sisters had to watch him die because I'm going to do something greater. I'm glad I wasn't there to stop this in that moment so that you can now really put your trust in me. That's essentially what he's saying. John eleven sixteen, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Mr. Mr. Positive there, right? You know, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to die. We might as well go and die together. That's what he's saying. Now, back in Bethany, what do you think the conversation was? You know, why didn't Jesus come? 
Lazarus is his dear friend. Why didn't he show up? He didn't even come to the funeral. Let's look at verse 17 and then 20 through 22 regarding Jesus' arrival. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Isn't that so honest of Martha? She's demonstrating the exact tension that you and I feel when we go through grief and when we go through loss and we don't think that God came through for us. We don't think that God did what God could do. If we were really honest in times of grief and loss, we think, oh, God, you could have done this, but you didn't do it. She's just being so open and so honest with Jesus. And I think it's a picture for us that when we go through grief and loss, it doesn't matter what kind of emotions we're feeling, they're okay. There's no proper way to go through loss and to go through grief. But a lot of times when our prayers don't get answered, or things don't go our way, or our life doesn't go in the direction we think it should go, and we think there's something wrong with our faith. Oh, I didn't pray enough. I didn't do this enough. I, I didn't you know, serve enough, or, or whatever. But it's just possible God may be up to something different. Or God may have a different plan altogether. So learning number two, our tendency is to think we have little faith when our prayers don't get answered. This is kind of a, a relief to me to, to know that there's not necessarily something wrong with my faith just because my prayers don't get answered or things don't go my way. It is possible that God's got a greater plan either for my life or somebody else's life. And so in verses 23 and 24, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Martha thinks that Jesus has just given her the, the party line, right? The company line, some religious slogan to make her feel better and to calm her grief and to calm her distress. And that's really not what she's looking for right now. And that's why she responds the way that she responds. I know he's going to rise on the last day, you know, just like everybody else. I'm not concerned right now, Jesus, about the last day. I'm concerned with now and why you didn't come when we summoned you. For your dear friend. And what Jesus says next is probably one of the most familiar passages in the scripture. It's probably one of the most profound statements that Jesus ever made. And we don't even get the full context of it because can you imagine all of the emotions going on right now in this story? But he looks at Martha and her brother's been in the grave for four days. She, she's grieving. She's upset. Mary hasn't even come out of the house because her grief is so great. And here's what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five through 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. 
do you believe this, Martha? And here's the point Jesus was making, and he couldn't have been any more clear on this. Learning number three, physical death is simply a change from temporary to eternal for those that have Christ in their life. It's a transition, if you will, from one place to another, from earth to eternity, and it happens in an instant. And Jesus is telling Martha, and he's saying to you and to me today that anyone who puts their trust in him does not have to fear physical death. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he has power over death. He conquered death. We're going to celebrate that next week. He's showing he's got the power over death in this sign with the raising of Lazarus. And he's showing us if we have a relationship with him that we too will conquer physical death. It's a transition to eternity with Jesus. See, the light of the world, Jesus brings hope to their hopeless situation, to our hopeless situation. He's saying anyone who puts their trust in me will actually come alive forever. And physical death cannot have any power over you. So John's taking all this in and he's writing it down for us. And and Peter's there and the other disciples. And he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? John eleven twenty seven. 27, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She's probably thinking, I don't understand why you were late. I don't understand why you didn't come, but I've seen too much about you not to trust you. And then finally, Mary comes out of the house and she has a conversation with Jesus. Martha's sister, verses 33 through 34. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And what happens next is so incredible because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But in that moment, He was so close to Lazarus. He was so close to Mary. He was so close to Martha. He entered into the emotion of the moment. And he entered into the pain and the suffering and the tears and the fears of having lost someone that he loved. That's why we know Jesus walks through our loss with us. He doesn't just understand it. He walks through it because he's walked through it himself. He entered into that human emotion and that pain and that grief and those tears with Martha and with Mary. Because the scripture tells us in verse 35 through 37, then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. They saw that human emotion. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? In other words, if he could have, he would have, but he didn't, so he can't. That was their mentality. But the reason he didn't, and the reason he chose to wait, is so that he could do something that would forever change the way people view life and death in eternal life. And that people would no longer have to fear death. We all fear it. 
Even though fear doesn't come from God, we all fear it. And he's taking away that fear and showing us, you don't have to fear, you have hope. And here's the hope, warning number four. If death can be conquered, then anything and everything is possible. If Jesus conquers physical death, all bets are off the table. Anything is possible. And so verse 38 through 39, Jesus was still angry. And he's angry at sin and the fact because of our sin we have to go through physical death. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. In other words, you were four days late. It's going to stink really, really bad. And Jesus says this in verse 40. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud. For the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. There was a massive crowd in Bethany mourning with Mary and Martha. He's basically saying, God, I know you and I are connected at the hip. I know what's going on and you know what's going on. But I want these people to see that I came from you. And then in verse 43 through 45, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Notice that last sentence. They believed, why? Because of what they saw. Isn't that what John's been trying to tell us through all these signs? I want you to believe based on what I saw and what the other eyewitness accounts saw. And what we don't understand is back then, especially after the resurrection, if you talked about Jesus or showed faith in Jesus or told people about Jesus, you could be put to death on the spot. Nobody dies for a lie. They believed because of what they saw. So Jesus isn't asking us today to believe based on blind faith. Believe the testimony of my disciples. Believe the testimony of these hundreds of people that witnessed what I did. Because these signs prove who I am. That I am from God. And listen, even skeptics will agree that Christianity could not have grown to the numbers that it's grown to if there wasn't an explosion of growth early on of Christianity and an explosion of followers early on. Why did those followers follow Jesus, knowing they could instantly be put to death for following Jesus? Was it because the Bible told them to believe? No, the Bible didn't exist Was it because their parents put pressure on them to believe? No, it's because of what they saw. 
And so the message of Jesus moved from Judea into Israel, all of Israel, and then to every corner of the earth because they could not deny what they had seen with their very own eyes. See, seeing leads to believing, leads to trusting. That's the whole point of John's gospel. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's that verse we've looked at every week. John's agenda has not changed one bit through these signs. He doesn't want us just to know this story or to acknowledge this story. He wants us to place our faith in Christ because of who he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So listen, after this, and again, there was hundreds and hundreds of people there. When somebody lost someone, everybody in the city went and mourned with them. So all those people left that day after Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. You can't deny that. This man's come back to life. And they, and they flooded Jerusalem. And they started talking about Jesus and telling other people about what Jesus had done. Because this was an indisputable miracle that he did. And so his enemies decided something's got to be done. Something's got to be done about this Jesus. We got to put him to death. Listen to verse 47 through 48. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. That last sentence, what are they worried about? They're worried about what they're going to lose. They're not looking at what they could gain in a relationship with Jesus. They're looking at what they have the potential to lose. How often is that us? God wants us to take a step on our faith journey. And maybe that step is to Invite him into your life to start that journey. Maybe it's to do something for his kingdom. And all we look at is what we have to lose instead of everything we have to gain in being obedient and following Jesus. John said it like this at the beginning of his writing. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. The word, which is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. John wanted you to know. He wanted me to know. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus is the light of the world, that he's the resurrection and the life. In darkness, evil can't do anything about it. And if we'll put our trust in the light... If we put our trust in Jesus, that's, not, that's something that the world cannot ever take away. John 3, 16. A lot of you are familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He sent part of himself to this earth so that none of us would be lost. But we'd enter into eternal life because of our relationship with Christ. And not even physical death can take that away. Physical death has no power over us when we have Jesus. 
And the beauty of a relationship with Jesus is available to everybody. It's available to every single person. So I want to encourage you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, do that today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for yet another sign from one of your faithful followers, John, about who you are and what you were up to in the world then and what you're still up to today. God, we'll admit we do fear physical death because we've never been through it. And we've seen people lose people they love. But God, calm our fears and give us peace, knowing that we don't have to fear this because you conquered it. You did a sign to prove you could conquer it. And then shortly thereafter, you rose from the dead. Lord, help us to put that fear aside. And if you're here today and watching today and you've never invited Christ into your life, what are you waiting for? Don't have willful blindness. Take the word of all of these eyewitness accounts. These people who could have died instantly, and a lot of them did because they told others about Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for your word that we can read today and learn exactly what was going on and what you were doing and what you continue to do. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the churches in our community, the bodies of Christ everywhere in the world. Lord, help us to be a light, to shine light on who you are, that you are the Messiah, you are the resurrection and the life, and you are the giver of eternal life. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. As we finish up, if you want to Fill out those connection cards, those electronic connection cards. Uh, we're not going to track you down, but we will uh, pray through your prayer request each week. We'll put you on our newsletter so you know what's going on in the church. If you're worshiping through generosity, you can do that online or through the church center app or the black boxes in the back. Remember, next week, next week only, 9, 10, 15, and 11:30. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great Sunday.